So if we ask, how do people find purpose? It's, it's, we can't think in terms of one size fits all. Instead, we have to be thinking about general principles that seem to come up a lot when we talk to people and when we learn from different people about their purpose journey. So I suppose I just did a total academic thing. You asked, asked a perfectly simple, thoughtful question and then I changed it into a different question. I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting and I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you. Sign up for it because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free. And I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. Today, we have a special guest with us. Actually, we have two special guests with us. First being the man that I am interviewing, Bradley Wright, PhD and professor of sociology at the University of Kentucky, where he studied American Christianity, spirituality, and well-being. He received his PhD from the University of Wisconsin, where he specialized in social and psychological and criminology. He also authored two books and 50-plus articles in general and academia outlets. He lives in northeast Connecticut with his wife and a small, fluffy dog. They have two grown sons, both of whom live in California. Wouldn't want to live there right now. And they enjoy cycling, hiking, nature, and photography. Well, Bradley, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Evan. It's a joy to be here with the two of you. Thank you. And you're probably, if you're not watching the video, who is this mystery guest? Well, uh-huh. I have my infant newborn on my lap who is probably going to be joining us for a little bit. So if you hear any baby coos, that is the adorable baby. Okay. So if you hear anything from him, just know that he is a young podcaster in training and he might ask a few of his own questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, today, Brad, I just wanted to first start off here and really just dive into a little bit more of your background. So tell us a little bit about who you are and your background with psychology, sociology, criminology, and even Christianity. Okay. So I grew up in California and my father was a professor, his Mother was a professor and her mother was a professor. So I kind of come from a long line of professorial types. Graduated from college, had no idea what I wanted to do. And I thought, hey, I'll just go into the family business. So I went off to grad school and uh, I had the distinction of getting a PhD in a topic I'd never had a class in. So I'd never taken a sociology class, but it sounded interesting. So I went and got a PhD in it. Uh, And then very thankfully and fortunately and gratefully, I got a job here at the University of Connecticut and I study uh, sociology. And within that, I study religion, spirituality, well-being, things like that. And 
part of how I study spirituality is from a Christian perspective, because I'm a Christian myself. And the bringing together, Evan, of academic research and matters of the heart and soul just fascinates me. So I, I love what I do. You know, I am always fascinated by individuals who have the biblical understanding with counseling or psychology or sociology. And from these individuals, I've learned so much. So I have high hopes for this interview to learn quite a bit, actually. No pressure whatsoever. I'm sure this interview will be way easier than your thesis. <laughs> yeah, well, I would hope so. That was a, that was a tough several years, right? My dissertation. That was, those were tough times. I bet. Well, I just want to jump right into it. How would you define purpose and its role in our lives and why it's important? Wow, that's a great question. It's also a question that could be answered different ways. So some people define purpose as synonymous with meaning, synonymous with happiness. It's used in a very general sense. When I study purpose, and that's what I've been studying uh, last year or two, it's a subset of meaning, and it's something that involves being true to something within us. It also tends to have a future orientation. It's also something that we use to organize our life. So I use maybe a, a little more specific and technical question, uh, definition of purpose. So you could see a sunset and have it be beautiful and you can feel something deeply and that's very meaningful. For me, that wouldn't be purposeful, although it's a wonderful thing. That would be meaningful. Purpose is like an inner guiding orientation toward something that's most important. I think a lot of us do confuse, like you were saying, meaning with purpose. And so in terms of that inner fulfillment, how do we go about finding what that inner fulfillment is and how to live it out? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Um, that's, honest to gosh, I've spent pretty much 15 to 20 hours every week the last year plus trending, trying to grapple with that question. So let me start off by saying why that's such a great question and why it's so interesting to look at. There's some things that seem to give everyone meaning and purpose, or at least most people. But for a lot of people, it's very idiosyncratic. And by that mean, that I mean, it fits for them, not for others. So a, a dear friend of mine is a neuropsychologist, which I'm not even sure what that is. It's deeply meaningful for her to study the brain and how it affects behavior. For me, there would be no purpose in that at all. So if we ask, how do people find purpose? It's, it's, we can't think in terms of one size fits all. Instead, we have to be thinking about general principles that seem to come up a lot when we talk to people and when we learn from different people about their purpose journey. So I suppose I just did a total academic thing. You asked, asked a perfectly simple thoughtful question and then I changed it into a different question and didn't answer it. Well, go ahead and answer it. Well, <laughs> I would, so I actually have spent um, 
spent a lot of time this last month thinking about that. Is there one concise answer to the question, how do I find purpose in my life? And by that, I mean, is there an answer that would fit most people? And this is what I came up with, Evan, and I'd like your feedback on this. The way to find purpose is to actively look for it. How about this? To actively and wisely look for it. And the reason why I chose to give that answer is that having talked to many dozens of people about their kind of their process of engaging purpose, it always seems to be a journey as opposed to you just stumble on it. It always takes effort. It's, you have five false starts for every one right step with it. And then there's better ways of doing it and worse ways. And so that's where the wisdom comes in. So, so that would be my answer. The, the general approach is actively and wisely pursue it in our lives. Okay, so let's take that one step further. If we are to actively pursue it, what would be the starting blocks of learning how to pursue a purpose? Okay, so I love you're pushing me towards specificity, right? It's so easy to talk about this stuff and just stay in the realm of like general concepts. Um, I, I, I assume you've come across Dave Ramsey and he has a He's been very meaningful to my wife and me as far as his oh, teaching yeah. about finances. Mm-hmm. 100%. He, he has those like five or seven baby steps. You first put up, put aside $1,000. Then you, and, and I'm going to forget the order of them, but you know, you, you pay off all your credit card debt. And then you pay off your mortgage. And then you save three months uh, salary or something like that. Where I want to be is where I can do things that are that specific for purpose. I'm not there yet, right? Because that's the brilliance of what he does is he understands finances so well, he can make it simple. I'm getting to the point where I'm getting it to be more simple, but I don't have a grasp of it yet where it's that crystal clear. Having said that, I would say a good starting point for most people is to start doing existing exercises about how to find purpose. Turns out, People have been asking this question for some time, and there's a number of specific exercises that you can do that get your brain and your subconscious to start thinking about what's purposeful for you. So I've struggled with this a lot in my life simply because I had this idea of what God wanted me to be and what I wanted to be. And I thought those two were in alignment. Um, And I felt like they were for the majority of my life. And, you know, it's probably within the same realm. I've always wanted to be a pastor. Um, You know, here recently, I'm seeing it as a potential of not just a pastor, but more of a what people would call an evangelist, someone who travels and speaks. Um, And I don't know if that's going to come to pass or not. But my dilemma is I've been wanting to do ministry vocationally since I was seven years of age. And no opportunities have opened up or presented itself to really be able to do that. And I've pursued it. I've sought it. And it's been shut down every, almost every time. And so then what do I do with this 
aching, this longing for something that I've identified that I want to do, but it hasn't come to pass. Because on my end, I think there might be, I don't want to say I'm different or specific than anyone else. I, I, I just don't know. Because some people can go outside of God's will and just do what they want in general and try to make it happen and turns out good or bad. I don't know. It, each scenario is different. But it felt like I could never go out and get into ministry without the doors closing as if God was saying, nope, not time. Nope, not time. Nope, not yet. And it didn't matter how hard I pushed or how hard I tried, what I really wanted to do would not happen. And so how, how do we as an individual who have longing in our heart, a desire in our heart come towards contentment when when that desire is not being fulfilled? That is a great question. And, and what I like about what you said is it gives us a nice case study to sort of think about what, what it looks like to pursue purpose. So there's a couple of things I want to pick up on with your story. First of all, you use the phrase aching and longing for something and that you've had this since you're seven years old. I would say the first thing is hold on tight to that. That is hugely important Mm -hmm. that you hold on to those desires. Um, I have a friend who wanted to be a musician and was a musician, but for practical purposes had to find another line of work. But he's always wanted to be a musician and he had to let it go or he felt that he had to. Fast forward 30, 40 years, he's miserable. He's absolutely miserable. Now, We don't all, what we want to do isn't always what we end up doing or even should end up doing, but we need to hold on to it. So I I would say in terms of practical steps, that aching and longing, bring it to the foreground of your life and be conscious of it and don't don't overwrite it out of practicality. So that would be the first step. What do you think of that? I had a a mentor tell me this year, I had a really unique experience. Um, I had a dream where a mentor was standing in front of me and I heard in the dream, God say, Steve has a word for you and it'll be the last prophetic word that he gives you. Woke up, forgot the dream. Later that day, remembered it, and I called him, and he's like, yeah, I actually had one for two years, but I never felt like it was time to give it to you. I like, okay, well, apparently now's the time, and he gave it to me, and in that conversation, what he said specifically about me is that that aching, that longing, that pain, the desperation of not doing it is how I know I'm called, because without that then there would be no relevance to pursue it if it wasn't painful, that it wasn't in my life. And so that's how I could identify that there was a call in existence because not doing it for so long, what makes me question whether or not I was doing it. And that was one part of the whole conversation, um, which I won't get into the rest, but like I said, in the dream, uh, it would be the last prophetic word he gave me. And then what ended up happening is six months later, he passed away. And so 
like I hold on to that message very, very clearly. The, the other part of that actually was that I don't have to force it to happen that in God's timing for myself, the opportunities will present themselves and I just have to step through them. And so, so you that, I mean, that, but that's my story. And I love it. I love that we're able to use a specific example um, to, to talk about broader concepts. So I want to pick up on what you said about with opportunities and timing. There's a tension here. Yeah. In general, it's a good idea when we have an aching and longing. And by the way, what you said, what your friend Steve said, uh, fits with my perspective. Hold, hold tight to these aching and longings or be very aware of them because they're important. Uh, we ignore them at our, our own peril. Yeah. My usual advice is that when you have these achings and longings, to start creating like mini experiences or mini experiments to try them out. So an analogy I use is dating. So last time I went on a date with somebody who I wasn't married to was like in the 1920s or something. I mean, it's a long time ago, right? And, <laughs> You know, back then, before, you know, our, before dirt was created. <laughs> yeah, back then, you know, we didn't have, you know, with our computers, we had like turn a big crank to turn them on, and there wasn't, you know, Match.com and stuff like that. But my sons, um, the, the phonograph wanted, wasn't even invented. <laughs> yeah, it's like you had to go talk to somebody and like go spend time with them face to face. It was crazy. Oh. But my uh, my oldest son, when he wanted to date, um, he you know found some programs like Match.com or whatever, and. Uh, you know, he'd go through them and then he'd say, oh, this person looks like they might be interesting. Now he wouldn't like then propose to that person, but he also wouldn't just sit there and hope the person would contact them. He would contact them and say, hey, would you like to go out for ice cream? He started off saying, well, actually, I shouldn't be telling his stories. Uh, so he'd say, hey, do you want to go out for ice cream or coffee or something like that? And they would go out. And then from there, he'd decide if he'd want to do it again. And... Um, and I think that approach isn't, isn't a bad idea when it comes to our aching and longings to figure out ways of enacting them just a little bit, you know, date, date them rather than instantly marry them. Because it, it's almost like we, have, we think that our engagement of them has to be binary. I'm not doing anything to, I'm doing full time exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And these, these little opportunities give us a chance to see what feels right and what doesn't feel right. Um, so for example, if you think you want to be a writer, well, start a blog and write four one-page essays. Then maybe ask to write a book, uh, write, a, write an essay for somebody else, or oh, maybe try writing an obituary. I don't know. Find like <laughs> 10 different writing projects and, and see which ones of them resonate with you and which don't, because this, this has two effects. One, it's a chance for us to discern what we like and what, what feels right when we do it. Because sometimes we don't know what's right until we do it. And two, it'll often open up opportunities. Mm. We might be going back in our conversation a little bit. Um, I, I've often felt unfulfilled. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Would the answer to saying, what do you do with the feeling of being unfulfilled is to go out and try things and date them? Or would you have another piece of advice? 
Okay, great question. <clears throat> Unfulfillment is a very important emotion. And it's a signal that we need to do something or at least change something at some point. What we don't want to do with unfulfillment is try to paper over the emotion and then the problems it causes with <clears throat> distraction, busyness, productivity, substance abuse, uh, sin, whatever. But it's easy. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in my life feeling unfulfilled and it's easy to want to do that. So I guess I, I just want to validate your feelings of unfulfillment and say they're important. They're there for a reason. Good. Can, can I be Sure. Before, hold, hold your thought because I want to say something. You said, you know, when unfulfillment happens, it can result in sin. It can result in other things. And I just had this flash of our country, our society, you know, how big the opioid epidemic is, how big suicide is, how big... Um, alcoholism and drugs as well as pornography all these things to try to f fill this void of unfulfillment and as we were talking as i was saying this i, I felt a little like man am i am i kind of alone in this like do i do i just feel unfulfilled and but when you said people turn to different things when they feel unfulfilled that's unhealthy i just realized wait a second that's why we have so much of this hurt, so much abuse that we allow ourselves is because there's this vast majority of people that feel unfulfilled. And so if you, as a listener in your life, are struggling with addiction, and it doesn't have to be severe as opioids or pornography or drugs, it can be eating, it can be sugar, it can be you know, other small things, or if it is as big as drugs or alcohol. I want to, I want to speak towards the, like you were, were going forth with the unfulfillment and I want you to answer that question. But then after that, how do we switch from these destructive behaviors because of unfulfillment to giving these things up and living a life of fulfillment? I appreciate that you linked the rate, the high rates of these kind of self-soothing, self-medicating uh, behaviors of that, that, that we used to try to paper over the unfulfillment problem. I think that that's very insightful. In terms of what to do with it, there, unfortunately, at least from my perspective, isn't an easy answer. I think what we want to do is to treat purpose like a combination lock. Like tell me what the combination is and then I open it and I get the good stuff inside. In reality, it's much more like a foggy path. Yeah. You start walking and I grew up in uh, central California where they have a lot of fog in winter and the fog can be so bad that when you know, you're walking down a sidewalk, you can maybe see five, eight feet ahead of you max but you, you have enough to take the next couple steps. So that's what I would say is don't try to solve it all at once because you're not able to, but take a couple steps forward in the direction you think you should be going and see where you're at. Then take a, a, a couple more steps forward. 
And often you end up changing directions. So like, you know, I used to write it earlier. Maybe you start off writing, but then you think, well, this isn't quite right, but it's close to it. Maybe I should try editing. And then you try editing and think, well, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's just communicating in general. And then you try other things. But I would say start taking small steps towards what you think your purpose is. As you do that, you'll, you'll start getting more clarity. Circling back to what you said in terms of things being kind of one to eight steps in front of you, like you can't see the whole picture to try dating and not just go from one place where you're at to, to marrying this idea. As you were talking, a formula appeared in my mind which rarely happens because I don't like the, I mean, I love the idea of formulas and that they can work and be practical for people, but there's such a variety of people that the idea that formulas are going to work for everyone normally just doesn't exist. But there's a formula that popped out as you were saying this and it blew my mind and it's going to lead into my next question. So here's the formula. Our father who are in heaven Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is thy kingdom, the power, the will forever. And amen. I've never thought of the Lord's prayer as a prayer of purpose. Never in my life until right now. I'd have to think I about just, it some more, but I think you're onto something. Uh, Leads away from temptation. We've talked about that. Yeah. Um, not sure how forgiveness would fit in there. I mean, it it has a place in the very, like in everything. But I don't know about purpose so in general. So here's here's where it, forgiveness comes in. We hold on to so much. We have this perfect vision of what I as Evan Herman should look like, or you as Brad should look like. And I know in my life, I've had a hard time loving myself because I can't fulfill that perfect version of who I think I should be. And I've had to learn to forgive myself for doing that. And I've had, learn, had to learn how to love myself. And the moment I started that, I started seeing healing from pornography. I started seeing healing from soda i started seeing healing in my weight and it was at the moment i learned how to forgive myself and start i wish i could say see the way myself god sees me because i can't but i'm one step closer to to it than i was before and what i realized that this idea of holding this perfect vision of myself or what I thought would be perfect, the success, the accolades, the, the career, the family. It was an idol and it was self-hatred because I couldn't like who I am, where I'm at now. And I needed to learn to forgive myself for that. Okay, let's keep going with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I see where you're headed with that. I like that. So self-compassion. So, so when researchers talk about this, what you're talking about, it'll come into the category of self-compassion, um, self-acceptance. It's, I think it makes sense. And another way that it fits with purpose is that 
our purpose tends to be very idiosyncratic as far as it's, it's for us and it may not be the same as somebody else. Right. So part of accepting our purpose is to accept who we are. And, and this crazy thing happens, Evan, where I, and I've seen this many times where somebody will have a sense of what they need to do, what, what they feel led to do. And they're like, Oh, that's not that special. Yeah. And so I'm not going to really fight for it. But if they saw it in somebody else, they'd say, that's amazing. Go for it. So I suppose both entails uh, acceptance, you know? So if we accept our, how about this? Part of accepting ourself is accepting the call on our lives and giving ourselves over to it. Would that work? I, yeah, I, I believe so. So here's the next question leading into even the Lord's prayer, you know, our father who art in heaven, how it be the name, your kingdom come, your will be done. How do we align our purpose with God's plan? Because sometimes we feel like they're two separate things. And I've, well, before I give what, what I have been learning, I really want to hear from you. Well, sure. I'm happy to talk about this as long as you accept it as experimental and I, I reserve the right to change my mind anytime in the near future. But I would say that as much as possible, we want to surrender to God and his leading. That That's our first, second, and third goal. But it gets a little tricky because he leads us through our desires. And so if our desires are at at odds with God, then something's amiss. What we want is for him to lead us, our desires to match his. And then as we become more holy, more in tune with him, more um, in communion with him, our, our desires naturally combine with his. So I'm at a point now where, unless I just know that it's just flat out sinful, I'm pretty comfortable going with what feels right and just praying, God, this is what I think you're leading me to do. You take it from here. Mm. And I'll and I'll move forward with what I think you're doing. So the, the podcast I have um, started off that way, where as an academic, what you're supposed to do with knowledge is write books and write articles and give talks at conferences. Those are your three options. But as I prayed about it and thought about it, I thought, you know, I really want to talk to people about it in a broader context. I kept on coming back to a, a podcast. And, and that was a difficult thing for me because when I was young, I had a speech impediment. And so I never thought of myself as wanting to have a voice centered activity. Um, but it felt right. And over time it became my, so that little inkling of a desire, you know, kind of like a baby version of the aching and longing you spoke of earlier um, has led to some really good things. So I would say follow God as he expresses himself through our desires. Mm. I, I like what you said about if it's not sin, follow the desire and, and, and see where it leads. Because I think, I don't know, I'd have to chew on that because I don't, I don't have anything specific about that. But I, I like the idea because so many times we try to figure out the will of God in decision making and make it complicated. But what you laid out is very simplistic. And I really like that. I like simplicity. I don't like complication. Right? When I think of God's will and his plan and purpose, I look at, 
I feel like God has a generic plan and a specific plan for my life. Or let me rephrase that, not plan, a, a God's generic will and God's specific will. And I believe God's general will is more important than his specific for me. Meaning that in general, God has called me to be consecrated to him, to love my wife, to lead my family, to be honorable before him and my family, to operate with the fruits of the spirit, peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and to live a life in such a way that it shows Christ's love and godliness to the rest of the world. That's the generic plan of God that we are all called to. And that's more important than Evan Herman's specific plan and call, which I'm still not 100% sure what that is at the moment. Um, But I'm working to find that out. And I can't really have a specific plan and it be effective if the fulfillment of the generic, the general, I shouldn't say generic, the general plan is operable. What, what are your thoughts about that? The distinction you make between general specific plan or calling or leading or will is kind of a time-honored distinction. And I think it's, people use it because it's useful. I would, I would hesitate to say one's more important than the other because if they're both from God, Seems to me everything he does is pretty important. Um, the specific will for our lives, maybe we could think of that as how he wants to enact his general will. So you have stories in the in the book of Acts of the disciples going being called to one place or another. So they were all called to spread the kingdom, but some were called to do it here. Some were called to do it this way or that way. If they were to resist their specific calling, then in a way they're resisting their general calling as well. Mm. So that, I think that's part of why, okay, this is helpful for me to think about this way. I, I think we have to be cautious about not emphasizing the, his specific calling in our lives because it can be treated as sort of like extra for experts or a luxury or something. But I would say it's fundamental to living out God's will in our lives. So your kingdom come, your will be done. Isn't just John three sixteen for everybody. It's also, um, you know, that he has good works prepared in advance for us to do, specifically has a plan for our lives. So I wouldn't want to separate those too much. More to think about. Hmm. Ask me a question. Okay. I'm actually, uh, I like that idea. Um, So how many... How many, so, so this is a great podcast that you have. I, I was looking over your guest and I was really impressed with the topics you cover. Um, how many episodes have you done? About? Oh, I think I have like 60 something rolled out. And so I probably have probably about 80 to 90 uh, already recorded. Wow. I'm so impressed like, that you, yeah. I'm impressed that you're that far ahead. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, what across those 
across okay in your podcast you you take on different topics and you're generous and i appreciate that that's that's tough to do and you do it well what is a lesson what are some themes that you've seen across your guests in terms of how they've enacted what they think is important in their lives so i'm going to have you do a what you're thinking about that i'd say in, in academics we call that content analysis you have 60 plus case studies Presumably, these people told you some stories about their lives, some, you know, some biographical details. Presumably, these people did something that mattered. I assume most of your guests aren't. I don't know what I'm doing, and they just spend the show crying. Um, what are some patterns or similarities or themes or, I guess, you know, pattern recognition that you've seen? I feel like assuredness, if I could describe it. Like, I feel like a lot of people that I've interviewed are assured in what they're doing is what they're supposed to be doing. And they've all gotten there differently. There's this level of confidence. And I don't know if it's because, you know, a lot of us put on this mask, this act when we're in front of other people, uh, which I don't feel like, I feel like a lot of our guests have been authentic. Um, but we always do put our best foot forward. And so there's just this confidence that I feel like most people have had on the show about who they are and where they're at in their life. I think the, man, the most impactful story, not, not that it um, changed me and gave me so much value that it created a 180 in my life because some of some shows did, but one guy's story just hit really close to home, even though I've never met him and we have so much in common. Um, him and I grew up in the same hometown of 25,000 people, small town, Hayes, Kansas. Okay. He's six years older than I am. We went to the same high school played some of the same sports again six years apart so we've never really in across but we did have some of the same friends which was really crazy uh because as someone who was six years younger i actually i actually hung out with a lot of older people uh when i was in high school i i hung out with college kids um they were good college kids they weren't you know doing crazy things and then when i when he went to college, he went to this university called Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When I graduated, I went to Oral Roberts University. I didn't know him. His name is Stephen Elliott. And you might not know his name either if you're listening. But you might recognize the name Pat Tillman. And Pat Tillman is a war hero in America. He also was an NFL star and gave up his life in the NFL and the career and the fame and the money to go serve in the military as an army ranger and got killed by friendly fire while over in, I believe it was Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, I think it was Afghanistan. And the guest, Stephen, was identified as one of the two shooters that fired on Pat. And... It was probably the most intense and most longest podcast I've ever had. But to hear his story, 
of how he shot and killed one of his best friends on accident to the healing and the restoration that he've had to overcome, not just from the hurt and the pain from that, but through alcoholism, through, through relational issues, through marital issues, how it plagued his life and then how he came out of that was so inspiring. Now, keep in mind, um, the reason why he didn't get in trouble is because they were so, like, they were in a firefight. This wasn't an accidental drill, um, but they were in a firefight for their life, and they should have never been placed in that situation. And bad leadership from command to put them in that situation was a part and reason why it happened. And so you had two companies that were separated and they didn't know each other's locations and they couldn't connect because of comms and one side got attacked. And so the other company, Pat's company came back to help and they were firing overhead of Steve and his company to ward off uh, enemy attacks from the side. And uh, so that Steve's company was in a valley in, in the mountains and, and they're being ambushed on all sides. And then they see fire from ahead. They can't make out who it is, but they know they're being fired at. They didn't know that the firing was going over their head to hit enemy forces behind them. So they fired at the place where they saw and then ended up, um, Pat was one of the ones firing overhead to protect. But they didn't know that. So, sorry, story. I just went on oh a long gosh. tangent. Yeah, oh my it's, gosh. And it's probably the most well-known story of any podcast I've done here in America. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really I mean, They don't know the details, but they know about mm-hmm. Pat. So in terms of the patterns you saw ahead of time, I mean, you listed three good things, assuredness, different paths, and authenticity. Um, I like the assuredness because pursuing purpose is really difficult. I mean, you think it would be easy. You think it'd be not just like, oh, this is who I am. I'm just going to be it. But there's something about when we act out who we are, it's terrifying. And everything pushes against us. Uh, Stephen Pressfield in his book, uh, The War on Art, talks about it in terms of creativity, and he calls it resistance. Uh, You might call it spiritual warfare, whatever. You need that confidence in what you're supposed to be doing so you can walk forward because it's just so emotionally terrifying and painful. So I like that a lot, the assuredness, and that's a good word for it. What other question would you ask me? It can be personal. Oh, I sure. mean, uh, your path so far to where you're at, has it been linear or nonlinear? Or, Define so your you, question more. So did you know where you are now? Did you know this is where you're going to be 10 years ago? Or did you have to sort of go down a lot of dead ends or make a lot of course adjustments or a lot of revise and uh, revise revisions? I would say I did not know 10 years ago where I'd be. Um, in, bet- in between 2010 and late 2013, I had over 21 jobs in four years. Because um, even when I started out in real estate, 
I still had some part-time jobs. And, you know, I was in politics. I was, I sold insurance. I delivered pizza. I was in retail. Getting a lot of different experiences. Um, And I didn't know where I was going to end up because I wanted to be a pastor. And that wasn't happening. And I finally decided based off of some life experiences and some advice from a friend, I decided to go into real estate and have done well in real estate and I've kept going uh, and I'm now eight years into it. And so, you know, I knew I always wanted to do investment properties, but you know, I still haven't done investment properties. I, but I'm enjoying real estate more than anything else I've ever done. Wonderful. I'm glad that you have found it. Um, that's great. So I, I've heard somebody, somebody told me yesterday that uh, our 20s is when we find out what we don't want to do. Um, and there's some truth to that. So that experimentation that you did in your, uh, when you were younger is a pretty common pattern across people. And I mean, I think it should give us freedom not to feel bad about doing things that then we choose not to do later on. Often what happens is when people get further along in their life, they'll look back and realize, oh, that experience is really important for what I'm doing now. So, you know, I don't know, maybe um, one of your jobs before you got into real estate helps you as a real estate agent. And maybe what you're doing as a real estate agent will someday help you as a pastor or something like that. So that's sort of accumulation of exercise of experiences and, and what we learn is, uh, is a common pattern and very helpful. And, and so that's why I just like the idea in general of if you think you want to do something, go try it out as opposed to just sitting on the couch and staring at your navel and figuring everything out from start to finish before you do one step. Yeah. You know, I, I can say this. It took me about four or five years to start a podcast from when I originally wanted to do it. Really? I actually bought the equipment like two to three years before I ever started it. Wow. And then I just uh, – go ahead. Uh, I understand that. Um, my study of purpose, I wanted to start it about eight, nine years ago, got into it, and then got out. Now I'm back into it with both feet, you know, both feet head first, if that's possible. Um, yeah, but that speaks to the, the emotional difficulties of it. I mean, I'm guessing that it wasn't that you couldn't find the on-off switch on the fancy microphone you have. You know, I'm guessing that there was, uh, you know, there's just a lot of resistance, a lot of push. In fact, Stephen Pressfield says something interesting. And I don't know if, I probably qualify it more than he does, but he says that, what we fear doing is what we should be doing. We can use it almost as a negative compass. So think of 20 different things you could be doing. And if one of them produces like a disproportionate amount of dread and fear in you, that might be the right thing to do. Now, I don't mean like, like juggling chainsaws in the middle of a freeway, right? That, okay. You should be afraid of that. But like in, in, in terms of, uh, of activities that might appeal to us, we, we should try that. Okay. Interesting. I don't know what I'd be afraid of other than snakes right now. <laughs> so what's, you know, so maybe that, the, the question would be, what's your current podcast? What's your current version of a podcast? The thing that you want to do, but you haven't been able to get yourself to do. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that answer. The answer would be to not switch gears completely about stop interviewing, but it would be to host a show solely by myself and come up with topics of discussion and lessons. And basically, I don't want to call it a sermon by any means, but just a little, a little motivational message, I guess. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. What I like that there's a couple things I like about that. One is that often discerning purpose is an issue of involves iterations. You know, you, you try something and then you do it a little bit differently then you do it a little bit different. It's almost like sanding paper, uh, sanding wood. You make a rough cut then you make it smoother, smoother or sculpting where you get a rough shape and then you make it something else or something. So what you've talked about isn't unrelated to what you're doing now, but it's not the same thing. If you wanted to do a mini experiment, uh, would this be audio or video or both? Both. I think we kind of talked a little bit about it um, beforehand. Part of it would be YouTube videos, um, which I really, I really enjoy doing. I'd probably enjoy doing videos more than just the audio. Um, again, at the same time where I'm currently at in life, you know, there's this excuse, oh, I'm too busy to do that. I legitimately have more things on my plate than what I probably should. And so I've decided to put that down temporarily to try to flush out a different dream uh, in the realm of ministry that has been on my heart much longer. Um, but then if that takes over and, and the ministry aspect happens, then I'm going to let go of something else. But podcasting and YouTube would probably still remain. Okay. So you, you, you've uh, sort of backed into a, a general principle that is ironic and probably unhelpful that we all do. And that is when we get busy, we drop the most important thing. So if, when, if I have too much going on, I'll, I'll say to myself, oh, I can't do this thing that's really important. I'm just too busy. Whereas what I want to be saying is, I have something really important. What can I drop? because I'm so busy so they can get to it. So thinking in terms of uh, small steps and exploration and experiments, what if you did this? Set aside, uh, and you'd have to negotiate this with your wife because it involves you being gone and you have small children. Set aside four hours and with the promise to yourself that at the end of the four hours, you'll put up three YouTube videos of whatever quality of whatever content and, and make three one minute YouTube videos and edit them and put them up. Because another trap is uh, perfectionism. Say, well, this is so important to me. I don't want to do anything until I get it just right. But the way to become a good video maker is to start off being a crappy video maker. Right. So if you do that, then suddenly you have three of those videos on, you know, online. Uh, online. And no one's going to watch them anyway, probably. So you might, right. as well, <laughs> you might as well get out there and, and do it. And then you could have like a... You know, if, so if, if, if your podcast comes out on one day a week, you could have like an experiment where for five Fridays, you at 10 o'clock, you release these mini episodes and just see what happens. Mm. You might do them five times and say, well, that wasn't for me. Or you might do them and say, this is me and this is all I want to do or some combination of the above. Interesting.
I'm thinking because I'm trying to figure out how I think, I think what I really need to do is probably measure my day by seeing how I'm spending my time for about a week and then see where I'm wasting time. Um, just because while the YouTube videos would be important to me, they're not more important than real estate. I enjoy them more. However, real estate provides for the family. You know, so I can't let go of real estate. I can't stop the podcast. Um, and so, you know, between real estate, between the podcast, between this ministry opportunity, and then let's say the YouTube stuff, I'm trying to build too much at once. And so the only thing that, <clears throat> that I could stop momentarily would be the YouTube videos. Unless if I just do it super early in the morning and wake up sooner where no one would bug me and I'd have more time. That would probably be the only place that I could actually insert that because I can't do real estate then. I can't do the ministry stuff then. I can't do the pod stuff, podcast stuff then. So maybe, maybe early in the mornings is when I do the video. That'd be something you could experiment with. So I love what you talk about with aligning, um, measuring your day. So the black belt, platinum, ninja, admiral club version of living purposely is to have your activities during the day, every day, both what you do and how much time you spend doing it, map on pretty directly to your values and priorities of your purpose. I know a few people who are pretty far in that direction and they live amazing lives, but the kind of boots to the ground question is how do I live my life today? You know, from when I wake up to when I go to bed and actually even when I wake up and when I go to bed so that it reflects my purpose in life. That alignment is amazingly powerful and it, it, it what makes it even more challenging and more beautiful when people do it is that it's constantly changing. Our schedules yeah. change, our circumstances change, even our priorities and purposes change. But if you can get that alignment right. Um, and then, and I like what you say about doing like basically a time audit of your day. When people do that, they suddenly realize, oh, the two hours I spent on surfing or with social media and or, or Netflix probably could have been repurposed for something else. Yeah. You know, as we're talking right now, I know I spend time every single day on Facebook and I have justified leaving it on there solely because I post information about the podcast uh, from, from that. So what I'm going to do is bite the bullet and I just deleted the app. Because I am so frustrated with Facebook right now, really? <laughs> in general, uh, and big tech in general. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, I could still access it on the desktop, but what are some other ways? I really like what you said. You know, Angela Duckworth, do you know who she is? She made 
she asked me a question and it was, it was really profound. She goes, Evan, do you make decisions based off of your mission, your life's purpose? Like what you feel like? And I'm like, uh, no, but I'm going to start doing that today. You know? And so I've been more intentional about that, but you took that one step further even and said, are you going to schedule or time block based off of your core values? And as I pull up my phone here, let's just see, let's just look at my calendar. You know, I have get my boys ready for school. I have lead generate for real estate. I have my podcast times. I have a whole bunch of blank space when there's literally nothing specifically. And then put the boys to bed. Um, I have when my wife's meetings are. But as I'm looking here, see all that white? That's times I don't have anything scheduled. However, time fills up in that time with doing something. You know, probably some of it is paperwork for real estate, making other plans that I'm unaware that I'm doing or facilitating paperwork that I'm not paying attention to. But I like the idea of auditing the time, but specifically when I plan time, plan it around those principles like faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. So I don't know. I like that. A um, couple caveats to this. Yeah. And that is we have to be, you know, over, we can be overscheduled. Um, or, or, or put differently, having downtime or rest can be part of purpose. But in general, I think you're absolutely right. The most purposeful, purposeful living person I know spends half an hour each evening planning her next day and the days after that in terms of purpose. And she has a color-coded calendar just like you do based on different areas of her life to make sure she's living out purposely. And she gets done more than like 10 people do in terms of what matters. Um, can I share an, uh, yes, please. an exercise with you and your audience? So this is something that I enjoy doing. If you want, I've written it out. If you want to go to my website at schoolofpurpose.org, you can download it, but I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. Create a five by five table. So, you know, get Excel or some, something else and, and print it out. And you're going to have two dimensions. One is meaning, the other's happiness or enjoyment. Okay, so we Here have we a, a five by five table. That, that creates 25 cells. It creates five columns, five rows. The um, higher up you list something, the happier it makes you. The lower you list it, the less happy it makes you. The further to the left you, may, you list it, it's less meaningful. Further to the right, more meaningful. So this is a grid for sorting out the activities of your life. Then list 25, 30, 35 things that you do on a regular basis that require some intention. So for example, you know, play the guitar, watch videos, feed the baby, uh, go for drives. I mean, just sell real estate. List, just list out what you do during an average week. Then take every one of those and put it into this 
into this grid. So for example, let's say you play Frisbee with your friends. How much happiness does that bring you? Low, medium, low, medium, medium, high, high? Let's say medium. Okay. How much meaning does it give you? Low, medium, low, medium, medium, high, high? I'd say let's go low. Okay. So then that would be medium, happy, low meaning. That would be right here. And uh, let's say uh, reading your children's stories. Uh, how happy does that make you when you do it? <laughs> Not very happy. <laughs> I don't enjoy okay. it. <laughs> okay, so what's something you do enjoy doing with your kids? Um, wrestling with them. <laughs> so my son, when he was six months old, and I broke the bed wrestling. He would just lay there, and I would jump on him, but land on my knees and elbows, so I wouldn't hit him. He would just scream in delight, and we broke the bed. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, so that's uh, high happiness. How meaningful for you is it you to do, for you is it to do uh, that? I would say it's medium high because it's really important to them and important to me. Love it. Okay. We've gotten two activities down. Do that for another 25, 30 activities that you do on a regular basis. Then look at this. You want to have as many activities to the top right as possible, and you want to avoid the activities in the bottom left. So when you see it, like when I have students do it, they'll put like Netflix down here or maybe social media in the bottom left. Doesn't make them happy, it's not meaningful. But when you look at this kind of sort, then you realize, oh, I can reprioritize based on this. I can either not do the things in the bottom left or do them less. I can do the things in the top right more where I can change the things in the bottom left so that they're more in the top right. Now, I like kind of formal analysis like this a lot. I found this helpful. You could also just do it informally, like, oh, does this bring me meaning? Does this bring me happiness? That is real. I really like this. Um, is this like copyrighted or anything? Or can I, can I use this? Uh... Use, it all, use it all you want. I'm happy to send it to you after uh, the podcast. That would be awesome because... Whenever I start being more intentional about helping other people, this is something that I think would really be beneficial for a lot of people to fill out. Oh, good. Good, good, good. It looks like a bingo card for it's people that um, – Purpose, bi purpose yeah. bingo. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I like that. I really do. Purpose bingo. That's what we'll call it. Uh, you want to get four in a row on the high side. That no, that's so that's so good because we're going through a sermon series at church right now, and the overall concept is you have to slow down to be able to go fast, and it's it's basically that we we play into this. Oh, I'm busy. I gotta go. Like just I'm always, and we're not we're not being intentionally diligent with the things that are most important. And I really, really, really like what you are saying about, about this. And when we think in terms of purpose, it often expresses, it often feels like it's meaningful. And yet there's also a joy to it. I mean, I would say that 
a good purpose for a parent is to wrestle with your kids. I think that's a fantastic purpose. And the fact that you enjoy doing it and they enjoy it, you know, you know, maybe that needs to be one of the blocks on your day. You know, we're talking about scheduling what's important. Maybe you need to schedule wrestling time. I mean, I, I don't know that you do, but th that's the logic. Figure out what's most important and then do that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our show today. I like to end each show with the same three questions for our guests. And the first one being in terms of negative self-talk in your life, what is the one lie you tell yourself currently that you struggle the most with? Oh my gosh. I can't believe you asked that question. I love it. How, so I'm processing this. Well, I think I'm processing this as a podcaster. How wonderful that you give guests a chance to be vulnerable. Honestly, my constant self-talk would basically boil down to you suck. You do everything wrong. You, you shouldn't be doing anything you're doing and whatever you do, you're doing wrong. That just, just like a loop tape that just kills me. And that gets back into the self-compassion you're talking about of just accepting like, okay, like, you know, to stop asking the question, am I good enough? And just do what I think is right. As I mean, you have a PhD in, in psychology, sociology and stuff. You ever like psychoanalyze yourself and be, you know, play your own doctor? <laughs> um, so I'm a sociologist, so I can't really play a psychologist, but I okay. do spend a lot of time analyzing my life and the lives of others. In fact, probably too much. I've, I've learned to keep my observations to myself, to other people. So that's funny. What brings you peace? Wow, these are great questions. So I tell you what, I will trade you that five by five sword if I can steal the idea of asking the standard questions like this. This is absolutely. Uh, so what brings me peace? Um, stillness. If I can, if I can work through the pain of being still, there's peace on the other end. So uh, somebody, and I should, I'm terrible at quoting accurately. Uh, I'm actually really good at quoting. I just don't do it accurately. Said that, uh, you know, the, the, the chief problem of all, of all humans is that we can't sit still in a room by ourselves. And that that's the root cause of, of, of so many of our problems. That when I can just sit still, especially at the end of the evening for 15, 20, 30 minutes and not have to be doing something, not watching TV, just sitting, there's often deep peace at the other end. Other than God and your wife, what is the best decision you've ever made? <laughs> Thank you for uh, both of those qualifications. Best decision. When I was a, in my, when I was a younger man in my mid twenties, um, like you, I tried different jobs and I found out I was really good at selling stuff. And I was offered what then was a lot of money to sell stuff. And at an intuitive level, I knew it was the wrong thing. And I turned it down to go to grad school where my wife and I at one point were actually on food stamps or I guess women, infant children programs, you know, mm -hmm. vouchers for food for our been, kid. Been there. Um, but intuitively I knew that I would not do well living a life where I was just trying to make money. 
that I wanted to be in something that where I was creating knowledge that for me, that was the right thing. And I've never regretted that. Honestly, if, if you said, I, I don't want to retire, so I'm 58. I don't want to retire because I love what I'm doing so much. It's like, I want, I might as well get paid for it. If you give me a day, okay, on Christmas, Christmas mornings, and I've done this for a long time. I, I usually get up at around four or five. The rest of the family doesn't get up till later. I'll start doing my work because I enjoy it so much. I'll, I'll be reading something, taking notes, writing. I just love it so much. So I dodged a bullet by not going for money because the, the bright, shiny things had the potential of really distracting me. I really like that you said that. I wrote that down as just a, a gem because I feel like as an entrepreneur and with everything going on in our society now, I mean, gas went from like $1.72 weeks ago to I think it's like two sixty two ninety here, you know, to this idea of chasing money. Um, and, and the sacredness of money versus the creation of knowledge. Like, I just, I really like that. I'm going to apply that to myself. Tell us how people can get a hold of you if they want to listen to your podcast or purchase a book from you. For sure. Uh, I have two books out, but they're 10, nine and 10 years old. Don't buy them. Um, they're stats based <laughs> and are out of date. <laughs> so how many guess if you had to come on your show and say, don't buy my book? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but my podcast is kind of hopping. So if you go to the School of Purpose, it's on Apple and Spotify and stuff like that. So I'm a professor, so it's a school, School of Purpose. If you just Google School of Purpose, you'll find it. Don't really have anything to sell. Um, I'm starting to teach some classes in purpose, but we don't have like a, a program or anything to sell people. There's some resources on my on the schoolofpurpose.org website if people want it. Uh, if people want to reach out to me directly, um, you can send me an email at bradleywrightphd at gmail. And um, you can also find, you can find that I think on the School of Purpose podcast. Uh, Just website. because Bradley Wright was already taken. Exactly. Honestly, I don't, I just assume not have the PhD there, but lots of other Bradley Wrights, just none of them ever got a PhD. <laughs> well, Brad, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Uh, your wealth of knowledge and time here. Thank you so much and take care. Thank you. It's been a joy, Evan. When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example, that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had. And he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're gonna get in a spot where you're gonna be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now that it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people, I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm gonna make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm gonna offer a free 15 minute coaching phone call 
to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15 minute phone call, I have the prices right up front. I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show.